And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show. Presented by RIA Advisors. If it's Friday, you know what it is. Financial fitness. Uh, 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 uh. Let's get physical. Physical. No. It's let's get fiscal. Fiscal. And I'm here with Danny Ratliff, who does not have his Jimmy John's in a wad this morning. He's looking good. Not this morning. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. We are, uh, this week, flew by, Danny. Just gone. Dow futures are up about 36 points. Hey, it's been a nice little run uh, today, hasn't it? I mean, this uh, this week. Now, it's funny. When you look at all of the S&P's gains, was from a rally from March 13th, April 13th. We had a 7.5% rally in the S&P, and then we went dead. We went mucky, right? Which is pretty frustrating when markets trade in a range like they are. This week, though, we seem to be trying to uh, break out of it a bit. Uh, we get a little bit weaker in the morning. We close higher. I thought absolutely yesterday we were going to close lower. We didn't. And I always remember my old adage that I keep in my mind. The market is designed to make you look like an idiot. That's, <laughs> that's its primary goal. I think there's so much conflicting data. I mean, it's, it's tough it, to really rationalize what's going on. And I think that it is. It, is, it is so unique, the environment that we're currently in, in the sense of it's not your, your typical, we can't look at history as much as we could historically in, in a way that we can gain a lot of information from it. But I think the pandemic, and we've talked about this over and over again, mm-hmm. is that it has just changed the name of the game and how it's to be played. And you look at market breadth, still relatively terrible, right? I mean, this is not something where you see coming out of a, a bear market that you hit a bottom. Yep. But yet here we are, and it appears that things have changed. And the economic data is is very tough to watch in many ways because you, know, you look at Walmart. Walmart had much better than expected earnings, especially compared to its peers, Target, Home Depot, um, you know, and CPIs remained pretty resilient. Yeah, Walmart had a really great number, and still their e-commerce numbers are continuing to grow. And they think they're going to continue to grow over the next four years, but yet yep. here we are. We look at the leading economic index, which is actually the only two times in history we've seen it. You know, We've had 13 consecutive negative months. It's mm-hmm. 1973 and 2007 leading up to something. And, and here we are yet still, you know, analysts and economists saying we're going to go into a mild recession. And I think what we're going to find out is that we've probably already been there. Or what if it's not that mild recession because we're coming off of such higher numbers that, you know, you don't actually get negative. You just you see that disinflationary type of uh, process. Right. Right. Where you're just you're still positive, but yet it's much, much slower than what has been expected. Atlanta Fed, though, increased their their estimates to two point nine percent GDP. Mm-hmm. What was it? Two point six, I think, prior. Yep. Um, I, I mean, listen, in spite of policies that are a major headwind. Uh, in spite of the fact that rates are probably going to remain higher for longer, there is this, there is this um, 
continued momentum by consumers. Um, whether it's they're spending more on the same goods because of inflation. But less goods. Right. Oh, yeah. But you still have a portion of the economy, and that's because people are working. And especially where, the, where you see the rate, the wage increases have been, sort of the lower end of the job market. And those families tend to spend every dollar they have. And that's where most of the wage gains. We've been, Danny and I have been saying for a long time, this is a white-collar recession. This is where if you're working in a cubicle for a middle, and you're in a middle management position, I would worry as opposed to that I work an aisle in Home Depot. I would be more concerned about working the corporate office in Home Depot than I would be working in a store. And I think that this might continue for a while. Now, it, what shows you that the market isn't healthy overall is look at market cap weighted versus equal weight index. I've oh, always different. done this, always. Coming out of a trough in markets, I always used, used to look at the putting money into equal weight because no matter what the top stocks are in market cap weight, that's where the money hides. Now it's tech. I, in the early 90s, Danny, it was like um, IBM, Exxon, you know, the industrials and the oil and gas. Now, like, Apple is like the new Exxon, right? So me, money hides out in there. But the breadth of the market stinks. The breadth of the market stinks. But I, what I, you know what I think has really given this power to this market overall, though, as far as sentiment and why you feel like it wants to go higher? It's the narrative of AI. We have fallen in love with this whole thing. We have fallen in love with a robot. But don't keep her in, don't keep your robot in Houston because all that humidity <laughs> stiffening right up. No good. But this AI thing, uh, it has created this fever. Like all of a sudden, it I mean, I know it's been building for a long time, so I think there's positive sentiment around some areas of, of tech. And, you know, narratives, we know stories can push markets much longer than anticipated. Because in the short term, we know it's all emotion and story. So we don't care about where earnings are going. We don't care about margins. We don't care about valuations. It's all these stories. Yeah, and there's a lot of them. I mean, yeah. and, and look at what's going on right now. The CME Fed Watch, just uh -huh. last week, they were anticipating that no no hike, they were going to keep rates normal. It was 89%. That dropped to 63% this week. What do you mean as far as keeping them where they are now? Yeah. So the, oh. the, the odds that they're, that they're assessing to that or signing uh, to so that. So that's maybe adding to it too, right? Because it's... This talk maybe a pivot, although I don't see it this no, year. No, it's not not talking about a pivot. Talking about they're going to stay the course and could potentially hike. Oh, oh, okay. You mean like just stay? Yeah, stay where they are. Yeah, that makes sense, right? To Correct. stay in this position for as long as it takes. But the odds that they're going to stay have dropped, meaning that it is not towards a pivot. It's towards actually a potential hike, because hmm. the economic data has been stronger than what they anticipated. Yeah, and the market's not even though. For the most part, it's muck. It's up seven and a half percent this year. Well, the market's given them nothing, and we know they're looking at the they're looking at employment numbers, they're looking at the market, they're looking at the overall economic data. Albeit, a lot of this data is so far behind us, it, it's difficult to assess this environment. But you know, it's no different than what they've always dealt with, and we know that they've always gone too far. You think about how many times they hiked this last year, how quickly mm -hmm. they hiked. Yeah, it's not the number; it's the speed at which they did it. Yeah. Um, 
you know, trying to play catch up. I mean, so, it's, it's interesting though. Think about this: 2018, uh-huh. we have the two best consecutive quarters of earnings revenue ever. It was like 25 percent, on the heels of the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. And then the market falls off a cliff in Q4 because Powell comes out and says, we're a long ways from neutral. We're going to have to begin hiking. Mm-hmm. He switches narrative very quickly. He does. In November, I said, whoa, hey, guys, we're done. Market still declined 20%. Worst fourth quarter we've seen since the Great Depression. But here we are, in spite of them being relatively resilient and very, very um, telling as far as what they're planning on doing, yet the market seems to want to push forward. But... Yep. How many how many companies are actually down in the S and P five hundred oh. versus up? Absolutely, way Amazing. different story. Absolutely. We get back. We're going to continue this discussion here on Financial Fitness Friday. Stay tuned. Investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Why, Red, whatever are we going to do over this hot, lazy summer? Don't you worry, little darling. We're going to break our money malaise. Don't let the summer doldrums sap your money's worth. Register for our next Candid Coffee with Danny Ratcliffe and Richard Rosso with summertime tips for your idle cash. Saturday, June 3rd. It's our half-year financial checkup, breaking your money malaise this summer. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Hi, this is Janet Yellen, and welcome to my OnlyFans page, because I'm going to have an OnlyFans to pay off the national debt. So I'm going to show off a few of my best things. My bunions are raving. I get 10 for my bunions. So come on in to Janet Yellen's OnlyFans page. Today, what we're going to have for breakfast is runny oatmeal and cold coffee. Because we're trying to save money in the Yellen household. That would be scary. A Janet Yellen OnlyFans. I have to tell you. That was a great one. Who said that on the YouTube page? But that's genius. That is awesome. (laughs) That's great. That made my morning. Made my morning. Thank you for that. Um, Now I can't think because I'm totally nauseous. Um... So we're talking about the market. So, you know, it, it looks like, so the S&P is up 9.5%, Danny, for the year. Um, the um, NASDAQ's up 20. But keep in mind that you may not be up anywhere near that, right? Because one, you're going to be in a balanced portfolio, right? There's no one I know that is aggressive enough to be 100% in stocks. And if they are 100% in stocks, they probably own the raw index, right? If they may not own just the S&P 500. They may own sectors. They So unless I'm in, if I'm cornered in my portfolio, if I have a little, little corner and I just put in money into an S&P 500 or, or a growth fund, I'm doing okay. I have no idea. Even though, of course, Danny, we have not recovered from last year, right? 
So the most important thing that's going to matter for you, because if this continues, is you could say, well, I'm going to put all my money into an S&P 500 index fund and that'll be fine. Okay. If you want to take that kind of risk, right? Because to me, I don't think you're getting the return for the risk you're taking. I don't care if it's 9.5% or 10% or whatever it is. Um, and you're going to want something that's going to buffer your ride. So you're always going to hold cash. You're always going to have some sort of fixed income. You might have some international holdings, whatever you're going to do. You're never going to time it perfectly. So that's why you have to do financial plan matching. You have to look at your personal rate of return that you need in your portfolio to hit your goals. Now, if I have, if I'm earning, if I've got four percent, and I could get nine, sure, I'm a little, maybe I'm a little upset by that. But if I only need four percent, why, why am I taking the risk? So in other words, we always look at one. You know, the market's like for investors is one side of a coin. There's only one side has an imprint, and that's the return side. But we never look at how much risk it takes to get the return. If you want to take that volatility and risk, especially if you're closer to retirement, then you are at a big risk of having to get back to work because you cannot afford a 20% loss. When clients come to me, they go, listen, you know, my plan says my return should be 4% and they're hitting their return estimates over time, right? They're, they, their plan has been uninterrupted. They can spend the way they want. They can continue to save the way they do. They don't have to buckle in, change their strategies, go back to work, work longer. They, their whole lives are continuing, even though we had that derail last year. Because <clears throat> it's the risk they're taking to get the return. By all means, when it looks better to take the risk, there's nothing wrong with increasing your allocation. Nothing wrong with that. But if you're matching, if, I were, if it were me, Danny, and you ran my financial plan and you said, Rich, you know, you've been with us seven years or whatever and you wanted to be, you know, your, your risk tolerance is absolutely not aggressive. You want to be more in this camp. And guess what? You know, you have had the ability to meet your bills, take your trips, pay for your health care, and there's still the longevity in your plan. Nothing's interrupted, even though the world's in a state of turmoil. I would say thank you, Danny. As opposed to if I went to a firm, and I'm going to blow our horn here for just a minute. I went to a firm that says I'm going to get 10% returns every year. And then we see these people, Danny. How many times are we meeting with people now coming in with financial plans from other firms, and they were at the rate of success the year before last. They were at 99% you know, they can get in the right lane, they can launch, they can get to retirement. Now, those plans that were 99% are 50, which means now they're depending on the market. <clears throat> they're depending on the market to make up their lives. In other words, the market is controlling their lives as opposed to their lives controlling their goals. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. What do you think? No, I, I agree. I mean, I think we see this over and over again when we have these two lofty expectations and it, it, they don't go as planned. Plans are just completely disrupted. And we talk about how conservative that we are because our goal is to play devil's advocate to make sure people continue to meet their goals. And 
that's our job. And I think the bigger part is that we must remember right now, you made a really good point. What type of risk do you have to take to mimic or mirror those returns at the moment, right? right. You would be you'd be concentrated in a handful of positions, really, versus the overall broad market. It's like when you go to a Las Vegas, and I've ever but I, you want to go to Las Vegas. I mean, you go to those casinos, you can't breathe from all the smokers. But say you're playing roulette. I have you to can put, breathe. They pump all that air in. It's <laughs> exhilarating. You have to put the money on double zero. Like, that's what you have to do now. Is that what you have to do? Well, I mean, to get if, Yeah, if you're at a roulette table. Well, I mean, you want to get a big return. Yeah. You put it on the thing, you know, the lowest prob, you know, the highest probability, the lowest probability of winning, and yet I can get a windfall. I mean, you want to go ahead and mire your money into an S&P 500 and not even every company's participating with valuations the way they are. But listen, if you're 25 years old and you want to do that, I can make a case that, okay, you, I want to help you understand. You might be down 20%, but you're adding money in. If I'm 10 years from retirement and my risk attitude is more of a balanced approach and I'm going to make my numbers, I'm going to be able to live comfortably and nothing's going to interrupt me, why do I care? Because the most important thing that I want is management of the risk. If I'm class close retirement, I want you, Danny, to do for me. I want consistent returns to, that match uh, my, my rate of return that I need to get my goals hit. Yeah. And I don't want an interruption to my life. I don't want to call from you in a bad year going, hey, uh, you know, Dunkin' Donuts has an opening. You want to work the drive through Danny? Um, you know, if you called me and said, hey, Rich, there's an opening at Bucky's, I'm, you'd be going, the phone would drop like in a cartoon and I'd be there, right? What I'm saying is you don't want to have your financial planner basing you on the best, rosiest returns going forward with valuations the way they are, and then your plan gets disrupted. You don't want stocks to, you know, listen, how many times does a bull market cover up mistakes? People can spend more, they don't have to save, and their accounts keep going up, and then you may be going through a rough patch here. And if I look at the market this year, it looks great. If I look at it over two years, it doesn't look that great. It's been stagnant. And then Lance wrote a piece about what if you get zero returns over the next 10 years or so. Well, and I think the bigger problem right now is that people are seeing that, okay, you're taking distributions and say, well, you know, market may have been stagnant, but I'm down because that market is not making up that return, right? And, and when many people retire, yeah. there's this expectation that they're never going to touch their principal. <laughs> Right, like in other words, yeah. their balance shouldn't go down, but yet their plan works. But to your point, they're on a spend down. Correct. Yeah. But you got to live well beneath your means in order for that spend down to work. Or, or if you don't want it to spend down at all, right? You want to preserve the capital altogether. And there's many people that can do that. But I don't know they've had it. But here's the problem for, yeah. for most is that they've had a habit of spending every dollar that they get in, right? Now, a lot of people have done a really good job. They pay themselves first. Mm -hmm. that, you know, the old adage, pay yourself first, pay yourself first. They do a really good job with it. But then any other dollar that comes in, they spend. But now the problem is that they've retired. They may not be able to spend the same amount that they were spending prior. Because they're not, they're not working any longer. They don't have that income coming in. Now, granted, they're not saving. But that rate of spend down is, is very similar because they want to continue these, these goals. Or just checking off bucket list items. There's a lot of times you can do so. 
we just have to understand how that distribution strategy works right. and what the overall impact is because I think a lot of times it's it's uh, kind of shocking to people when they say, whoa, wait a second, I'm going to be drawing down. Why can't we go and get you know, 6 7% every year? Well, that's just not how markets work. Every but single year, they're not going to be able returning. to do that. Remember, Danny, you, there was a time you can go ahead and say, listen, I'm going to put my money all into bonds yep. and collect the income. Okay. But even now, you, you can't with rates well, of Because with inflation, the way it up. is, right? I mean, yeah. Well, but I think that's always the case with inflation, right? Because mm-hmm. even when they were 6 or 7%, we were fighting inflation that was about the same rate of return. Correct. I mean, those are going to mirror inflation. But what's cool about your plan is your plan is going to inflation project you out. And what, and what you have to keep in mind is you might say, listen, I need $50,000 a year. I need $60,000 a year to live. I will tell you, you, you when you're a young retiree, and I, I, I will tell you, I think a young retiree is like 65. It's, but I'm going to have these active years where I'm going to be spending more money. But I will tell you, and we just, I'm just from this experience, doing this for 30 years and having clients in retirement distribution mode for over 20 years – and the accounts have not grown. They've gone down, but they're not down a lot, but they've gone down. You don't spend as much in this huge part of your retirement. I call it the big valley, right? There's this period of time where you're not ill, but you're not, you don't, you're not going overseas. You're not taking all the same trips. Your life is good, but you are spending less until you get older and it starts to spike up again. When we get back, we're going to talk about ESG, OMG, ESG, no bueno, we return. Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. So, Danny, I don't know about how you feel about this, but I feel like I'm getting ESG pressure. I feel like I'm getting environmental, social, and governance pressure. And not from clients, from our industry. Every advisory uh, magazine I read, white papers, everything, is to sell financial advisors on this ESG initiative. So I don't know if the whole industry is going off the green path or what they're doing. Okay. The other day I met with a client that manages a pretty large limited partnership. And she has an invest and, and one that manages a family foundation. And they're really upset about this whole ESG. Listen, if you want to do environmental social governance, it's 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 free country. Okay? You know you're going to pay more money, you're going to pay more in fees, you may have less returns, but you're willing to give it up to make yourself feel good. Okay, if you know the facts before you go in, that's perfectly fine. 
So I, ex- I suggested that these clients in their investment policy statements, if they feel that strong about ESG, because their advisors keep telling them that they have to get into e- these ESG funds, and I don't know why they have to get into these. I said, could the advisors give you a reason why they, you need to do it? Well, that's what's coming, and this is what it is. And I said, well, have you looked at expenses and all that? No, we don't get into the de- They don't get into the details. They sell me the story of this. And I'm like, well, you might have to put in your investment policy statement that we do not want an ESG initiative. That might be a reality, Danny, for people that put together what we call investment policy statements, formal ways to invest, sort of the constitution of the investments. Uh, strategy and risk and liquidity, you might need to add a paragraph or an addendum to your investment policy statement saying no ESG. And then I got to thinking, what if I'm, if I say that and I'm in a non-ESG investment vehicles, vehicle, am I still attached to ESG? So I'm reading a really good book right now. I'm reading a book uh, by Vivek Ramaswamy's new book called Capitalist Punishment. And he talks about green smuggling. And what green smuggling is, and it makes sense, is I'm in a non-ESG fund, but I have asset managers that are going to proxy vote in favor of ESG initiatives. So this Committee to Unleash Prosperity examined 4,814 non-ESG branded funds, Danny, to see how proxy votes were cast on 50 of the most extreme ESG-oriented shareholder proposals from 2022. Like, and again, this is from help from the Wall Street Journal. One proposal wanted Home Depot to perform a racial equity audit to identify adverse impact to non-white stakeholders. Also to Costco, also to ExxonMobil. So in other words, what green smuggling is, you think you're in a fund that, or an investment that's non-ESG, but they vote for ESG initiatives. So A grade, this company gave an A grade to companies that say, if you're in a non-ESG fund and you want to be non-ESG, they don't proxy vote behind your back or green smuggle you by voting for those initiatives. Dimensional, Vanguard, T. Rowe Price, and Fidelity. That they respect savers and investors who have differing views on today's political, heated political debates. So Vanguard CEO Tim Buckley said, we don't believe that we should dictate company strategy. It would be hubris to presume, presume that we know the right strategy for the thousands of companies that Vanguard Invest with. See, Vanguard's smart, Danny. Because they're saying, we want those companies to do the best possible for their shareholders to gain returns. How much did Ford lose on EV vehicles? Oh, is it Something an enormous like amount? 60 billion? Or I can't remember the exact No, it wasn't quite that much, but it was a lot of money. I mean, I think they're losing like the tune of almost a billion dollars a quarter. Okay. It may so, have been like five hundred million. It may not have been as bad, but either way, it's not make it's not a money making proposition at the moment. But to your point, this is where a lot of these companies are, you know, kind of behind your back, going out and exactly and, and pushing their political agenda versus pushing for companies to be profitable to make you money. And what's really interesting about this is that these are companies that are managing money. 
So what other types of conflicts are associated with that? Because now they're going after, you know, from a political standpoint that may not make economic sense. Well, I remember that the activist shareholders that didn't want ExxonMobil to do oil and gas. Yeah. <laughs> you remember that? Okay, what would you like us to do? We're going to open it. We're going to have an ice cream shop. Um, here are the F minus grades. Six top <clears throat> 40 firms that backed more than 90% of ESG proposals. Northern Trust, Deutsche Bank, Goldman Sachs, Charles Schwab, Charles Schwab, UBS, Guggenheim, and BlackRock. Well, BlackRock got a C. So you may have to have or find these studies. So in other words, if you are a non-ESG investor and you want a company that's going to vote for, to do what they're supposed to do is a fiduciary duty to shareholders, you're going to have to dig deep because of this green smuggling, right? Well, so is your, is your money manager representing your best interest or their own? And I think that's the important part, right? When, especially when you get in with these big companies that what are the other conflicts associated with this? And you mentioned the ESG funds. You know, there has been a humongous push. And I think what's so interesting about this conversation right now is that we're talking about not even the ESG funds, but the agenda behind the companies that are dealing with it in general. Right, if of, of a non-ESG. Correct. So this is, believe me, this is not, well, we're not trying to make a political statement here. We're trying to help you understand is if this is how you feel and you want companies to do the best for you, and you put it in, because I'm having clients have to look at putting it in their investment policy. Understand your advisor may not really understand this. But you <clears> may <throat> not be able to get around it either. <laughs> right, Unless if you're going to invest in funds. Yeah, right. Unless you look at looking at these grades and digging deeper. Then you have to worry about what we call greenwashing. And Vivek's got an example in this book. So Goldman took an underperforming fund and rebranded it as an ESG fund. So they carefully constructed the divestment rules. It sounds impressive, but they didn't really change the holdings very much. But the firm charged higher fees. And all of a sudden, this fund got in all this new money. Because that's, I mean, let's face it. Does Wall Street really care about the environment? Yeah, it would probably do a little. But what they really care about I'm is making sure. fees. <laughs> I know, I'm just trying to be polite. Yeah. But as an investor, you have beliefs. And your belief might be, I want ESG. That's all I want. If you, have, if you want to do that, then you need to put that in your investment policy as well. But it'll be a lot easier to find the companies that do ESG, but you're going to pay more and your returns will probably be less, depending on whatever industry or sector you're going to avoid. But, but here's the thing. So, yeah. so if, if all these companies are doing and having to go through exactly what's talking you're talking about right now, like the greenwashing, that companies are getting pushed. Greenwashing, green smuggling. Yeah, but do you really Permit need an ESG fund? fund at this point? Huh? Do you need an ESG fund? I mean, we know we know the fees are uh, higher. I say no. They mirror <laughs> the indexes quite a bit. You look at the ratings amongst companies. But I mean, you, but Danny, you might have a philosophy that makes you feel good. I only want it. In other words, we're always here to help the client. Well, then go become a stock picker. If you want that, that's the only way around this is to go out and to to very actively 
methodically go pick and choose the stocks that you want. I still think that's probably the best way to do it. Yeah. But many investors don't. Well, I, I think that so, when it's, it's wrapped, it's in this pretty package with a nice bow and ribbon on it. Somebody's doing it for you. I mean, I, I get it. I understand, especially, you know, look, most of our clients, they want to go live their lives. They're smart people. They've done really well with investing. But they're like, look, guys, but, we appreciate the philosophy you have. We want to go do the things we want to do, not manage money all day. Right. And so I get it. If you have that ESG yeah. agenda, you may want somebody who can who can tie that up in a pretty bow for you. But what at what cost is that? And can you do it a better way? And if you don't want that, I think it's going to become more and more difficult to actually step around that that fire, so to speak. This ESG is an invasion like crabgrass. I, I, in other words, I, it's like your lawn is getting decimated. I mean, if you... Oh, after all this rain down here, you know that's a, that's a big topic. But the topic. point is now everything is political. Everything. I mean, if you go and buy a candy bar, I mean, down to the simplest things, it's exhausting. But as fiduciaries, I was starting to think about this. You got to help clients on both sides of this because that's what our job is. Our job is to help you hit your goals. Mm -hmm. Not We don't worry about your political opinion. We treat you and want you to hit your goals. But if you have this penchant where you say, I don't want ESG, or I do want ESG. Well, keep in mind, there's a lot of intersection. And there's a lot more in fees that you're going to pay and perhaps underperformance, but you're willing to put your money where your mouth is, and that's fine. And if you're non-ESG, you're going to have to dig real deep because of something called green smuggling. It ain't easy being green. That was a terrible Kermit impression. When we get back here at... Uh, What's Kermit? <laughs> and you don't, may need to retire. For don't a while. rub it in, man. We'll be right back. daily investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com here's a here's a good lesson we have a great youtube um rowdy crew it's like a ship of crazies i like but Gordon uh, says, rather than give to charity, invest in ESG for 10% of assets. But here's my thought. I, I don't think that's a good idea in due respect, Gordon, in why is I would rather invest to make as much money as possible, get my big gains, and then have take advantage of a tax-favorable charitable strategy to, to move that money. Right, whether it's a donor advice fund or gifting to, I would rather gift more money to a charity by investing in companies that actually will make money as that you know, or provide shareholders with maximum value. But I guess you could look at it this way: if you're not apt to want to give to charity, you can say, "I'm I'm going to take five percent of my portfolio or so, and I'm just going to do the feel like I'm doing the right thing. It might underperform, but I'm okay." But I would rather invest. 
to for the, the for the the amount of return, a risk adjusted return that hits my goals. And if something does really well, I can decide to sell it and pay taxes, or I can decide to donate it and not. So, you know, just depends on where you're going for it. But the but the logic of it makes sense. You know, there are going to be some people that want to do or follow these environmental social governance. Uh, and again, I still think the social and the governance is easier than the environmental because I don't know. <clears throat> there's a lot of weird science <laughs> around <laughs> environmental uh, overall. So, um, well, but s social and governance is all s all subject to interpretation as well. So, yeah. I mean, now we're talking about feelings, not necessarily logic. I've always believed in a company you want to hire the best people for the job. And if that person happens to be black or Indian, what it doesn't matter, right? We have, like I think our group, our group is pretty diverse. We have a really diverse group of employees, don't we? Yeah. But they all kick butt. And I would say as an RAA firm, we probably have more women on our staff than most do. They kick butt. We could not do what we do without these incredible employees we have. Because of their, that's just who they, but we wouldn't, you know, we don't want to hire somebody because they don't know how to do the job just because they fit a certain criteria. Um, so I, I just, you know, I think our firm is a great microcosm of how things should be. I know that sounds sort of, you know, Well, I think when you're deliberate about finding the best talent, I mean, that's all that should matter is the best talent, right? Yeah. So that's, that's what I think about that. Hey, so we're going to have a, Saturday, June 3rd, Candid Coffee. Breaking your money, malaise. This is Richard doing an Erica impression of doing a Georgia Bell. Um, money saving tips for summer, rebalancing your finances. Listen, you're in a period of humidity in August. That's your portfolio stuck in that. Your money is stuck. But does it have to be? Is it stuck in your mind? So we're going to go through that Saturday, June 3rd, 8 o'clock. Go to realinvestmentadvice.com. Sign up for our hour-long Zoom webinar. Boy, we have a lot of people that come to our Lunch and Learns and our um, Candid Coffees, Danny, and they stay with us even longer than the hour. We always have a really good question. Really, I will tell you, great questions. Don't we get great questions on these? Oh, tons of great questions. So, you know, I think it's really important that, you know, Candid Coffee was one of the deals <laughs> that during COVID, Rich and I were thinking like, okay, we're, we're not visiting with people one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. We're getting a ton of questions. What's just kind of like a, let's do some office hours or just something where we just take questions. And so that's really what it was about. And, and we still kind of keep that, um, that theme to it. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times we're kind of going ahead and addressing the questions that we're hearing on a regular basis, right? Mm -hmm. Just an opportunity to share a little bit more informal, kind of open format. Uh, if you do have questions, you go sign up. You can ask them right there. But during the show, we'll also take them. We try to get to as many as we can. But uh, if you send us those in ahead of time, um, you know, much more likely to get to. Especially because we do try to keep it an hour. It is Saturday. We know everybody's yeah. got a ton of stuff going on. and uh, But, you know, it's a good time. So, Danny, I have a client that said, I said, well, what would be one of your tips? <clears throat> and she said, listen, we're going we're gonna, to um, we're gonna save money and have fun at the same time. I'm like, is that possible? I think it's very possible. Yeah. Well, she goes, we're going to travel and look at different areas of Texas. We, we yeah. haven't really studied or been to a lot of the cities, and Texas is as big as 
most I mean, countries. How long does it take to get from one end of Texas to the other? It uh, depends which end you're trying to get to. Okay. Yeah. Give me an end. Long end. I mean, what is it from here to El Paso? Like yeah. 12 hours? <laughs> 12 hours. So if you want to visit, there are so many great cities. So well, with no turns, by the way. <laughs> I'm going to say something to you, girlfriend Amy. May 27th, we're going to Gonzalez. She's born and raised in Texas. Well, it's Houston, so I don't know if that's Texas. But I <coughs> Sorry, Brent. Maybe when you were here. Because you were here when they didn't have cars and you know, Marshall Dillon was walking across, you know, high I noon. mean, the Model T. It took well, a while. <laughs> Sam Houston and I were in junior high together, so. Yeah, and you carried a big stick. Mm-hmm. Um, she's never been to Gonzalez. The what? birthplace. She goes, where? What? You know, the, I, I, listen, it just blew my mind. I'm, I'm a kid from New York City. I know more about Texas history than she does. Sorry, but I do. So we're going to go take a tr- day trip to Gonzalez. So what I'm saying is, she, I thought that was a great idea. She says we would usually go out of state. This is how much we would spend. This is how much we're going to spend. Man, she cut that in more than half, and they're going to have 110% fun with all the mosquitoes and the heat. <laughs> But, you know, I think it's a good idea. Well, I think it's a great idea. And I think that once you figure out, you know, that you can still do the things that you want Mm -hmm. and not have to spend a ton of money, I think that's actually probably more liberating than spending a ton of money and then always worried about it. Can I continue this? Can I keep this up? That, I think, is is much more liberating to be able to do, you know, hey, we're working within our budget. We found things we like to do. Then going big, and then every single, like you mentioned earlier, the market's got to cooperate. What if it doesn't? Then you're in trouble. Yeah. Yeah, I love that idea. See, man, I, I always got that love for the outdoors from the movie Easy Rider with Peter Fonda and, the, and Dennis Hopper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard they're remaking that. Really? Yeah. They're going to use electric scooters. <laughs> <laughs> Queasy Rider. <laughs> ESG Rider. Yeah. I said, I, Dylan Mulvaney is going to be the uh, main actor. <laughs> oh, good grief. <laughs> Hopefully a lot of people are not listening to the show. Sponsored by Sponsored. Bud Light. <laughs> Man, that film could not be made today in the same form. Not I don't think all. most things could be made today in the same form. No, even movies from like three years ago. <laughs> so, um, so uh, again, so you can keep in mind, we're also going to be annoying you on Monday. Because Lance isn't here. So I think we're going to be annoying people for some part of next week. So you're stuck with the Rich and Danny show. I know. I would start taking your ibuprofen on Sunday for the headache you're going to have on Monday and Tuesday. <laughs> that might be uh, something you want to, um, you know, start to think about um, overall. You got any big plans this weekend, Danny? Uh, kid events. It's always the kid events, right? Yeah. Baseball. Yeah. Baseball, baseball, baseball. And then I'm sure there's some birthday parties or something else thrown in the middle, which, you know, we've, you know, I've gotten to the habit now of interviewing the children. Like, hold on now. I haven't heard of this one. <laughs> Who is this? Hmm. No, you remind we're me not going to be able to make that one. Sorry, guys. We're busy. a story about Sylvester Stallone's got three beautiful daughters. Yeah. Like what you have to get through to get through him to the kids. I'm like, I'm not dating them at all. Because that's what happens. A lot of guys don't like, You're like yeah, who's your it. dad? Uh, Rocky's your dad. Um, sorry. <clears throat> I'm not going to do it. That's going to be too much. 
Well, you know, I always say, because I miss doing that stuff with my kid, my daughter, Girl Scouts and all that, you, you know, it goes fast and you miss it. Eventually, you're going to really miss how much they love to spend time with you and all these events and all the kids growing up. It's just, it goes by, I mean. Oh, man, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, we've had a sick one at home last couple of days. Uh, he, you know, inevitably with three, you're always going to have one that catches something every now and again. And, you know, here we are. But it's, you know, just having some time, you know, like yesterday, he's like, Dad, I was, I was gone most of the day. He said, uh, I don't think to feel like I've seen you today. I said, hey, you're probably right. <laughs> Usually most days you're at school, you're at baseball, you're at art, at tennis, or whatever you're doing. You know, I mean, kids are pretty busy, but it's fun. It, it is a lot of fun. It's uh, it's tiring. You know, I come to work on Monday to try to get some rest. There's not a whole lot with that. Well, I read a study, and I think it's great because I know a lot of Gen Zs are like this. But the, the generation after Gen Z, and I cannot remember the name of it. Uh, I should remember. They are really moving away from social media. They do, I mean, yeah, there's TikTok and all that, but for the most part, you're seeing a massive part of this population of these younger kids and, and younger Gen Zs that they do not, I spoke to a client whose daughter is 14 years old. She goes, my kids are not interested. They're, and I talk to more people that say their kids are them. just not interested in, I, I think it's become such a normal part of our lives that it's not a novelty for them. They don't yeah. care about it anymore. So they don't spend a lot of time. And then you've got this group that is totally immersed. And it's un unhealthy. But, uh, man, I love to see that trend. I that'll love be the best to thing see for society. Oh, my gosh. Getting it? off of social media. I mean, that'll be fantastic. It would be. It would be. I think that's where a lot of the major problems have blossomed. It was definitely the accelerant to some cultural breakdown that we're seeing today. Hey, we, uh, well, I guess we'll see you next week. Hope you all have a great weekend. Thanks for staying uh, with us today. We love y'all. Do something fun this weekend. Watch for the mosquitoes because they bite real hard. We'll see you next week. Thanks again.